It's the final whistle on your home for Sporting Kansas City. We interrupt this program for an important news announcement. Well, then we should start. I think we should start. Hello and welcome to the special edition of the Final Whistle Sporting KC Classic Edition here on SportingKC.com and Sports Radio 810's Facebook page. I'm Dave Borchner alongside Chad Reynolds and Allie Trost. What a game, you guys. Second highest scoring game in MLS history. Holy cow. I mean, (laughs) you know, it's funny because with games like this, it stands out like, oh, highest scoring game. But what no one's talking about is where was the defense? <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, yeah, the Wiz scored six goals. The crew scores four. And that's great. Very entertaining. But not very good on the defensive side. I don't even know if the goalies were to be blamed for any of the goals, really, when you look back at it. It wasn't like bad goalkeeping. Like you said, it was horrible defending. And then some great goals, though, also. No, I mean, yeah, that's that's the thing that stood out to me. The, the two things that stand out to me about this game, looking back at it 25 years later, are um, it's 6-4. The goalkeepers weren't, weren't bad um, by any means. I mean, were they bad? They just the defenders were nowhere to be seen. It wasn't even like they were making poor individual plays. It was just so spread out and so convoluted. And, and, you know, we were texting at halftime and, and uh, you guys were both like, are you sure this game gets high scoring? Are you sure this game? And it's just like the moment the second half kicked off, there was just, there were no holds barred. I mean, what was going to stop these guys from scoring 10 goals? Actually, One of my favorite plays was actually in the first half and it was Pat Harrington when he tipped it over the crossbar. And the funniest part about the play, just watching the broadcast was the behind the net camera showing (laughs) like the angle and you literally couldn't see anything. It looked like you were watching it through like a foggy, like glass or something like that because it was like the worst quality ever but like that play the crew had a great sequence going really fast you know rushing towards the net and then get a I mean just rocket shots all around the field you know a lot of those goals and we'll talk about this but just coming from distance and that was a great play by Pat Harrington that was actually one of my favorite plays of the game which is shocking that it came from one of the goalies uh, one of my observations was how the heck did we ever watch sports before HDTV? <laughs> I mean, holy cow. I don't know if you guys were watching on your phones or your computers. I was watching on my big screen TV and it's just, oh, it's so horrible watching SD on an HDTV. Yeah. And it's, yeah. uh, it's, it, I had it. Yeah. I Chromecasted it onto a, onto a, a big 4k TV and was sitting there and uh, my, my, my wife walked into the room and she was just like, for real? Can't you just watch this on the computer where it might be, you know, moderately? But no, I, I think we're also used to watching things like this on TV. I was like, no, I got to try it. And uh, it was not worth it. It was like it was like watching a really bad video game, like an old 8-bit video game blown up onto a big screen TV. And then not having like the score, the clock, like any of those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, forget the counting down. Right. <laughs> I mean, I had the, I had like the list of, you know, the, the sequence of what goals happened when pulled up on my sidebar, just so I could keep track. Cause it was 
you know, such a high scoring game, it's hard to keep track of then which goals are happening when it's especially in the second half. Yeah. You guys probably can't see this on our end. I've, I've, I actually, um, you know, there's a, there's a little graphic around our faces on the internet right now. Um, and I did the same thing. I put the score up there and, and, and all the goal scores. Cause it was the only way that I think people would have some context for just how nutty this game was other than just watching it. Um, but you know, it's, it's, what is it? It's it's one one at the half, and and you guys are joking with me about how this isn't you know this is it was it was a, an exciting one one game, but you're also just like really are they gonna bang in ten goals? And then from the sixty well most scores right away, and then the sixty fifth minute on there's just goal 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 goal, um and I, yeah you had to you had to track it somehow because without the clock without anything like that they they didn't do a good job of referencing the score yes. or the clock either thank you i was thinking the whole time i'm like can somebody just say like where we're at right now like how much time's left how like what's the score <laughs> i mean there's hardly any of that yeah i looked up the box score at some point because i was like where is what's happening here i think now chad you know logistically this was the original broadcast would have had the clock up there right and maybe i don't this was think just so I think you I mean think so. I think this one might have actually been what what they call the 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 clean feed, which is um or excuse me the dirty feed, which is broadcast with graphics. Um, because we got we got hmm. some of the bump outs and bump ins and things like that. Um, but maybe maybe it was you know maybe it's just what was recorded in the truck and it's some kind of combination of of the 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 dirty feed, which has all the graphics, and the clean feed, which is just cameras and announcers. Um, I don't know. I did they even I don't recall on this one. Did they show the clock in the corner at all? I didn't see it. If I did. didn't see it. So yeah. maybe we did get the clean feed. Maybe we just got, you know, some of the intro stuff and, and not all the rest. But yeah, it was, um, they, I would assume they would have shown it more than we saw it tonight for sure. Can yeah. we talk about Boashani for a minute? Absolutely. <laughs> so I know before we started the show, you were talking about how this game kind of capsulized everything that was crazy about MLS year one. Yes. And his jersey was just <laughs> ridiculous. Like it looked like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle suit to me do you guys like know what it's insane. called do you want to know what's what it's called sure that was called the predator that was that was the very first like um era of the predator what we now know is like predator soccer cleats and it you know now it's a whole yeah, line yeah. for adidas in 94 they unrolled they rolled out this predator goalkeeper jersey for like tony miola award in the 94 world cup and this was the second iteration of it and it was all the rage cool. as a as a young goalkeeper at the time it was like you weren't cool Unless your parents shelled out 120 bucks for the Predator goalkeeper jersey, and I was not cool because my parents refused to shell out 120. Uh, but yeah, no, it was um, it was it was like some weird, oddly trying to capitalize off of a 1989 movie kind of. Th- you know, you know how like cycles in in fashion and cycles and or making production cycles take forever. I think they were like seven years late in getting that jersey to market. It's crazy too because like even just the jerseys and the equipment in general. I mean, I look at those jerseys and I think to early, early 2000s. So not too far off when I played on my first select soccer team and those like Umbro, I mean, they felt like your grandma's like curtains <laughs> in the dining room. They were so thick and like, just so, I mean, now everything's like so aerodynamic, high tech, uh, breathable Jersey. Like it almost feels like a second skin. And back then it was like, Hey, no, just go uh, throw this, uh, drape on you're not gonna you're gonna be sweating 10 times as much as you would uh if you were just playing in a t-shirt but it, it's just crazy to me like 
style aside, just like the technology even of how players were, you know, dressing for these games. It's crazy. So really yeah, those weren't like breathable, lightweight, moisture wicking jerseys. Well, so that's what's that's what's actually <laughs> yeah. really funny. We did we did that uh so last week uh on the this SKC Classics was the inaugural match from ninety six and uh, we did a, a fun little pop up video thing and interviewed some of the players, interviewed Precky, and he specifically said I loved those jerseys. They were so light and airy because they were mesh. They had little holes in all the way throughout them. Um, and he really liked those. He was just like the colors and the, the design. No, I didn't like it all, but the jerseys were great. And so I, I went and looked back at some photos and um, it looks like there were two versions of that black jersey in 96. There's the mesh one. And then there's one that just looks like straight up polyester, which there's no way that that was comfortable. But yeah, it looked like they, they specifically did two versions. So did the players get an option on which ones they wanted to wear or were the mesh ones? Cause I didn't know that. That's, yeah. I missed that on the broadcast. I don't know. I, I, it might've been like equipment manager decides tonight we're wearing this, or it could have been like a supply thing. They probably only had, you know, a handful. Yeah. I don't think it's like today where, you know, the kit man gets, gets hundreds of them. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't think it was, there was probably, you know, 60 total, <laughs> 30 of each kind or something like that, that they had to use. So the other thing with Bo Ashani, my question is, was the arrowhead field much shorter than regulation, or did he just have the greatest throw and punts in the history of soccer? So Phil Shane, the broadcaster, talks about that, or maybe it was Ty Keogh. They talk about that he was known for that. He So Brian McBride's first goal in Major League Soccer was off an assist from Bo Ashani on a punt. And it's Jeez. McBride brings the ball down. It's like a 70-yard punt. McBride brings the ball down with his head, and then – runs past a guy and one and one times it in and it's it's one of the cooler goals you'll ever see and it's you know it's like a 22 year old Brian McBride but Bo was known for that and he was actually like that you know for his entire career even when he came to the Wizards later in his career he just had a massive boot but did you see his throws too because he had some throws that went well past midfield that were like the height of a punt they were crazy yeah, he, he was, I mean, he, uh, Pat Harrington also had a really big arm. Like the second play of the game, Pat Harrington throws the ball to midfield. I mean, these guys would have dominated in goalie wars. I don't know if, <laughs> if you guys ever played, oh, man, but goalie like, wars. what a game. No, I mean, yeah, that was, that was wild. Like that was probably one of the most underrated parts is just like the strength. I feel like you Every, don't see that very yeah. frequently now. Everything about the goalkeeper. Well, so to answer your question, Dave, I mean, the field at Arrowhead was smaller. It was shorter. Um, it was, it was, so, I mean, now they play on 120 yard long fields, right? And mm-hmm. in 96 at Arrowhead, a football field, an NFL football field max, obviously is 120 yards with, with the end zones. Um, no, I mean, yeah, that was, but so even when you, when you add in the 120 for the end zones, that you've got to be able to go 70 or 67 yards wide, like an actual soccer field and arrowhead. You're not able to do both of those. So the field was probably what? 102, 104 long. And I know for a fact that in, in the 07 season, which is the last season the wizards played at arrowhead. And I was, I was with the club at the time in that season, the field, I think we told everybody was 110 wide and I'm pretty sure it was 104 or sorry. Sorry, we told everybody it was 70 wide, and I'm pretty sure it was like 64, and the same thing for the, the length of the field. We told everybody it was 110, and it was... You can't be spilling these secrets, Chad. Well, I mean, you know, who are they going to find? Years. The groundskeeper from from twenty from 14 years ago? 
Well, okay, question, just because I don't know off the top of my head, what are the dimensions of the field at Children's Mercy Park exactly, just to compare for, you know, anyone like myself who doesn't know? It's either 110, I'm going to look it up right now, it's either 110 by um, 75 or 120 by 75, or it might be okay. 70. Um, we'll, so they we'll added, so that's a decent amount of width and length that you're... 120 by 75, yeah, it's the full max of what, actually, I think the max of what FIFA allows is 120 by 80. But 80, an 80 yard wide field is just insane. There's yeah. so much space. So after Oshani had his second or third throw past midfield, <laughs> uh, the announcer said that somewhere in Kansas City, Steve Bona was watching and said he was like jealous of Oshani's throwing, which was amazing announcing. Oh, that tells you so much about the era. And somewhere a Pat Mahomes was getting ready to be born. Right? Oh my God. Yeah, no kidding. In a couple That's... of years. How yeah, wild. On one of the uh, either one of the goals or one of the saves, the announcer also referenced fifty-four miles an hour on the shot. Did they used to do that they all did. the time? They clocked it. Oh, yeah, they should bring that back for sure. Yeah. That was great. That is awesome. Yeah, I also noticed at halftime. Did you did you see the halftime stats graphic pop up by chance? Yes. I, okay, I took a screenshot did of you? it. Did you? I, was, <laughs> I did. So it pops up and there's it's got time of possession and it's like yes. and it was like twenty. I don't know, Twenty-four. They, for the crew and then 21 for KC like so, flat. Yeah, yeah, they were like they're perfectly round numbers or something like that. Um I don't know. I thought that was really funny. I have a I actually I do have a really weird fun fact about how they used to do that. Um there used to be a job on the stats crew where there was a person who sat there with two stopwatches, one in each hand, and they literally hit start stop when the other, you know, depending on who had the ball. And it was like that's and then they rounded those numbers to be – apparently they rounded I didn't know they rounded them. I thought they just said, you know, this is the time of possession. But there was actually somebody sitting on the stats crew with stopwatches back in the day. I feel like I, they I would have had to round game. them. They would have had – oh, my gosh. Okay, how hard was that? Because I feel like you almost have to round it because of how just – difficult that would be with the lack of technology that they probably had available if you're just using a stopwatch yeah and that's why that's why i was i'm i don't know it was really weird because i mean i remember just having a stopwatch in each hand i was like 14 years old um and i remember having a stopwatch in each hand and just you know i i thought it was the coolest job i got to sit there and watch a soccer game for free and you know be on the stats crew with stopwatches or whatever but yeah it was uh i don't know why the numbers were round they, they it probably was just easier to do it that way so the other things on this first half stats, which as we know now, I mean, the advancement of stats in sports across the board is, <laughs> has been astronomical over the last couple of decades. But in soccer, especially mostly recently, um, just the investment into capturing those numbers. But here's what they here's what they captured. Shots, saves, corner kicks, fouls, possession time. That's it. That's all you got. Yep. Those are the half stats. They, uh, did they not show, they probably didn't. They used to track a stat in MLS called catch punches. And it was a goalkeeper stat. Hmm. Um, what they were trying to do was get the goalkeepers more statistics. Cause you know, they, they traditionally didn't have them. So they, yeah. they invented a stat called catch punch for goalkeepers. So what was, what was better? Was it better to have more catches or more punches? No, it was like one stat. It was catch slash punch. And it was it was literally oh, okay. anytime the goalkeeper caught or punched the ball away and it wasn't a shot. Um, and so I, I kind of was wondering all those times that Boashani kept coming out of his box. I mean, does that count as a catch punch? I don't I don't know what the I don't know what the actual like, you know, def definition rules are of a catch punch. But yeah, they used to track it in MLS. 
that sounds like a special like super power that you could add in like a soccer video game like okay i want my goalie to catch punch he's <laughs> he's really his, his catch punching is in the 93 he's, he's not a good shot stopper but his catch punching is through the roof so we know sporting's used to a perfect field at uh, children's mercy <laughs> park what did you guys think of the Arrowhead field, you know, there was a rumor back in the day that the field was beat up and the Chiefs, I remember the Chiefs used to act like it was because of the 150-pound soccer players were yeah. like the reason the field was in bad shape. But in this case, uh, this would have been before the Chiefs season started, but I think it was only the second or third home game. But uh, the field was looking a little rough. They mentioned yeah. there was some rain. They did mention the rain. I thought it was funny. We talked about this earlier. Just, I feel like the broadcasters a couple of times tried to like almost brush off like how bad the field conditions were by like saying <laughs> that, uh, was it one of the goalies? Like, oh, he'll appreciate like having an extra cushion like coming down. <laughs> like, was it that bad? Was the grass that overgrown and like that torn up that they would consider it being like a cushion? Well, and I mean, you guys have probably both been on the field at Arrowhead, right? Mm-hmm. Like that grass is not tall ever. No, it's and and maybe I don't know. Maybe it was different grass or different something back then. But I just kept thinking to myself, like, where's George Toma? Like, what what, what is George Toma here? Is he was he somewhere and like personally insulted by, you know, hearing people on ESPN if he was watching this game, you know, talk shit on his field because they did. They spent the whole time kind of like halfway beating around the bush, but also being like, no, the field's in really crap condition. What I was wondering, like, are the Chiefs just letting the field grow for the spring and the summer, and then they're going to oh. start getting it ready for the season once we get to August? Like, I I, I don't know. That's what yeah, it looked like, right? It looked like it wasn't being maintained. Yeah, and they're like, okay, well, if you guys still want to play your soccer games, go ahead, but, like, this is what you're dealing with. What, um... Something... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Allie. Well, just, I was going to say something else that I thought was kind of crazy and just talking about, like, Arrowhead and the experience was... I looked up the attendance numbers between the the inaugural like home opener game and then this game. It was a huge drop off from 21,000 to just like in the 8,000s. I think it was just short of 9,000 in attendance. That's hmm. pretty significant. Yeah, they said that they at one point uh they announced the attendance and you hear you heard it over the PA system in the in the the nat sound of the broadcast and then I Taikio the, the color commentator says well, it sure sounds like more than 9,000 people here tonight, or they're making a lot more noise than 9,000 people, and it's just like, I mean, did it, though? I don't know. Well, it's funny, because I was sitting there thinking, like, every game we go to at Children's Mercy Park, it's a great atmosphere, and it's sold out, and I thought there was no atmosphere at all until we got to the second half, and there was four goals in six minutes, and, like, from that point on, you could actually hear fans and stuff, but, like, yeah. the first 60 minutes, it was like crickets. Yeah. No, I my favorite part and the broadcast crew did a good job of making sure that they featured these gentlemen plenty of times. And I'm sure you guys saw them, the shirtless guys with yeah. whiz written down their chests in like primary colors. It was like they looked like they took like the, the washable markers from their like Crayola box and just wrote whiz. I think, I think Chad was one of those guys. Hey, there, there's sure. a chance. I was gonna ask no. if you guys like were <laughs> if that that was you. I would I would have been 12 years old um and uh definitely you know actually I was thinking about this I know I was at the home opener the very very first inaugural game and I know I went to a bunch of other games in 96 but I couldn't for the life of me tell you anything about any of them you know I don't remember I feel like I would have remembered this game if I was there but I don't remember being there 
Um, and for whatever reason, most of my memories are of day games, you know, like in the sun at Arrowhead. And that might have just been due mm. to soccer schedules or whatever else at the time. But yeah, um, I, I, I don't believe I was one of the 9,000 on hand this match. I know I went to a ton of games in 96, or at least it felt like we were constantly begging our parents to take us. And then when, I mean, digital didn't wait, did, did Digi doesn't score in this game, right? No. Um, no. so Digi doesn't score, but, but like he scored twice in the opener and suddenly he was already a star and, you know, Precky was a big deal. And so we just, I remember begging to go watch digital and Precky play. It's cool how big this game was for Mo Johnston too. Yeah. You know, I think it was cool. Like his story coming over and, you know, coming from Europe, but he had already been pretty familiar with the U S he was training in Orlando during his off seasons. And when he was working with his agent being so familiar with Florida, he wanted to play in Tampa. Tampa didn't have enough room in their cap space. And so his agent gets in touch with Newman and they're talking about, you know, an opportunity in Kansas city tries out, makes the team. And then just, you know, that was kind of, that game was like his game where things really clicked and he found that, that rhythm, especially after having his career kind of start to seem at least that it was going on the decline and then to start finding that success in MLS. Well, that was something I learned about Mo. I, and, and, you know, I grew up watching Mo Johnston play. I, I, uh, he, to me, I mean, he's a legend. He's a sporting legend. He's on the wall at Children's Mercy Park for a region, for a reason. I didn't know that for his first game, he hadn't even trained with the team. And yeah. then like, and then you hear it during the post game, you could hear the talk back where you've got, you could hear the announcer interviewing Mo before they went to the live, the, the live interview or just asking him questions. Like, so when did you get in town? He was like, I don't know, like Wednesday. You know? Yeah. No, it was like such a, a quick thing because his first plan wasn't, the wizards it was just kind of like oh yeah i'll do mls and and they were like okay well and his agent was telling him about the contract situation and and mo was like well yeah if it doesn't work out i'll just buy out my contract like he wasn't worried about <laughs> like that side of it he was like no i'll just like find me a team this will be cool a great opportunity and then you know it ended up working out the best way possible when he scores two goals on his debut one of them an absolute banger on the the, the big flying side volley and uh and then the rest is you know MLS history or Kansas City history, at least. Yeah, it's cool seeing Lamar Hunt too. Yeah, up there in the owner's box. Yeah, they cut to him a couple of times in there, and it's just like, oh yeah, yeah. It was um especially because, you know, I mean, the Hunt family doesn't live doesn't live in Kansas City now. Didn't live in Kansas City then, and for Lamar to come back for for games in the middle of April, it's not like it's not like it was Chiefs season or this. I guess this was May. So yeah, for Lamar, I mean, this clearly meant enough to Lamar to keep coming back to Kansas city to go to whiz games. I think people think of Lamar and they think of Clark and certainly chiefs is the first thing they think of, but um, I didn't know Lamar all that well, but I've met Clark a few times and talked to him. man. That family loves soccer. Yeah. I mean, Clark grew up, he played soccer in college. He loves soccer. If you can ever get to him and start talking about MLS, he'll talk all day. And I, I'm sure Lamar was the same way. Well, and their son, Noble, is just based on social media things I've seen is pretty involved with the FC Dallas Academy mm -hmm. system and, and plays pretty competitively. So they've definitely got soccer uh, as their main focus, at least within their own family. I've never seen that kid suit up in a football uniform. Right. Um, so I, you know, it's I, I just think it's so cool, um, you know, just being a fan of the game and also just for Kansas City and how neat it is to see the impact that Lamar Hunt had not only on your football team, 
but on major league soccer as a whole, I mean, this guy is a total maverick uh, in U.S. sports and really just helping pave the way for what's now been 25 great years of major league soccer. Well, at this point, did he own three teams? I mean, so he so he owned Columbus and he owned Kansas City, and yeah. I don't I don't remember if they owned the Burn or the Dallas Burn now FC Dallas from the beginning. Obviously, that's the only club they still own now. But I mean, he he owned he literally owned three of ten teams in the league. <laughs> that's how much it yeah. meant to him. And obviously, one doesn't end up in Kansas City if if it's not for Lamar and 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 his relationship with well in owning the Chiefs and all that. But you know, I mean, Ron Newman's probably not there at, the, at that match in '96. Ron Newman's first American, well, actually, first coaching job in general was he was a he was a player who got signed for the Dallas Tornado, the team that Lamar Hunt owned in the NASL. And mm-hmm. they made him a player assistant coach. And then the next year promoted him to player head coach. Um, and then Ron Newman started winning titles as a head coach. That was like 1968 or 69. And so he always would say, you know, I, I, I'm only a coach in MLS in soccer because Lamar Hunt gave me a chance. And then it's really cool for all of Lamar or all of Newman's history as an in, indoor soccer coach and all that for Lamar to say, come on back, be my outdoor coach for the Wiz. That, you know, and he was the first coach hired in MLS too. So it was just, you know, that Lamar was so key to to not just building the league and building Kansas City careers that were yeah. sustained, grown, created because of Lamar Hunt. Yeah, it's amazing. So uh, a couple first half highlights, y'all. Um, how about a goal in the fifth minute by Mark Chung <laughs> after, you know, Precky draws three or four defenders to him. And that was like a great long range finish by Chung. I know later we'll get to like man of the match, but Chung had a pretty darn good game, even though he probably won't win that award tonight. That was my favorite goal of the game. I know like first is the worst, second is the best. That was my hands down of all the goals in that game. I mean, you start off with Precky just absolutely stealing the crew defenders lunch money. I mean, he just draws him in, completely fakes him out. And and then just the the quick little play off to Chung, who I mean, the left foot strike, that was very uh reminiscent of Gotti Kida's strike. Yeah. Uh against uh gosh, who do they even play in week two? Why am I uh, uh, Dynamo. The Dynamo and the, the opener. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. that the left-footed strike game? Other way around, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah. At oh, Vancouver, no, yeah. At Vancouver you had it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then the it was the opener. Yeah, no, he he Chung just there were some bangers in this game. Um I yes. mean, Sorber's goal Seriously. later, but Mo's goal. Um, but like the the best part about this is game four, or maybe game three for both of these teams. No, game four. They were both two and one. And you watch the defense. Precky starts cutting guys. And another defender comes over and another defender comes over and another defender comes over. And I just kept thinking to myself, when's he going to shoot it? Like he's going to hit this after this cut. And he, he does his cutback move three times and then he lays it off to Chung and you're just like, Oh, that's kind of a bummer. Nothing happened. And then Chung just buries it in the upper 90. Chung could play. Mark Chung was a really, really good player um, in the early, the early days of MLS and, and probably very underrated now looking back. A lot of people don't know about him because he, he didn't win a ton of awards or anything but like that. Mark Chung could really play. That guy had played for the national team, you know, a dozen times or something like that. He was a good soccer player. So speaking of good players early in MLS, um, so that goal was in the fifth minute. Brian McBride gets the equalizer <laughs> in the 20th. And I was telling my 10-year-old Landon that Brian McBride is one of the best players in the early years of Major League Soccer. Um, 
Chad, I know you're kind of the MLS historian. Where does where does Brian McBride rank in the first five or ten years of the league? Brian McBride, for me personally, and I'm I'm very very uh, partial to literally anything that happened in the 2002 World Cup. But Brian McBride for me is a top ten all time player in Major League Soccer and American Soccer history, and and easily. Uh, a top two American goal scorer. I mean, it's like it's it's Landon and, and McBride um, in terms of American goal scorers in MLS for me. I mean, it, it, you know, and, and McBride was he was such a hard worker. He did all the little stuff, and he scored fantastic goals. And um, he was just, I mean, you know, they mentioned in this game he's a hometown kid. He's from St. Louis, or he was he had played uh, college ball at at SLU and was. Just a, it was cool for him to come back to the state and everything. McBride's a he's an absolute legend. To answer your question, Dave, he was. I mean, there's a reason he was sold not long after this for you know millions of dollars. The first kind of big American signing to leave MLS. It's because he was a really good soccer player. Man, you're getting emotional about a non Kansas City guy. I, I, Brian good. McBride. No, the the goal Brian McBride scored to uh, in, in the Portugal game in the 2002 World Cup is still one of my favorite soccer goals. I can never remember watching live and it's, and yeah, I mean, so I will always, Brian McBride will always have a special place for me because he was such a standard bearer for the American soccer player in the early days of MLS and in the early days of my kind of soccer fandom. And then it grew into being, you know, the standard bearer for the U S national team. You bring up the St. Louis factor and, you know, as you guys know, I'm born and raised St. Louis and I, where'd you go to high school? St. Saint- <laughs> Joe Academy, but no, Brian McBride. I went to his soccer camps growing up. Yeah. I mean, he was like in amongst the other many St. Louis soccer legends, but it's cool too. Just, you know, the St. Louis university tie. And I mean, St. Louis university is the winningest uh, collegiate, you know, men's soccer team in the country. And my pop-off, which is just a kind of a cool little tie-in was on the very first championship team for SLU in 1959. Wow, And it's just really cool to see like, you know, the number of successful players who have come through that team, uh, Tim Ream being another one of them and, and just the, the impact that, you know, in this small little city and, you know, I get, I know there's a rivalry there, but you know, this is still a Midwest, you know, Kansas city, Missouri, the Missouri connection that, you know, both sides share. It's just really cool to see like all the talent that started in the Midwest. Uh, but no, Brian McBride is, I, I'm with you. I think top 10 of all time. And I would even put him up closer to top five. Just, you know, if you look at the time period that he played in. All right. If you're just tuning in, this is a special edition of the final whistle postgame show sporting KC classic edition here on SportingKC.com and the sports radio, 810 Facebook page. We just watched the second highest scoring game in MLS history. Sporting KC is now on a three game winning streak here on Thursday nights and sporting KC classics. <laughs> it's quite a run. Uh, I think it could go for quite a while. I feel uh, like we'll see. I, you know, there's uh, momentum, momentum behind it. I do. feel like it's, yeah. They're going to be tough to beat. They're going to be tough to beat. Um, so one more play from the first half. I don't know if you guys remember this one, but uh, Precky did a Johnny Russell and dribbled through oh, three yeah. defenders and just barely missed a goal putting it into the side netting right before halftime. And I was watching it thinking of Johnny Russell. Um, so talking about MLS history, so – Sporting history, Casey Wiz history. I mean, it seems like for people that are just getting into the team in the last five or ten years, I mean, what would you tell them about Precky? Because uh, he's sort of like our Messi, right, from like the 1990s and early 2000s. 
or play from the first. I, I, Allie, actually, you talk about Precky first because I could talk about Precky all day, but I, I want to hear what you think of Precky having kind of come late to the, the Precky world. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have more to say just because I, again, my knowledge of Major League Soccer, at least in those early stages, is pretty limited just because of, you know, how young I was and how little I've been able to go back and just watch since then. Um, but watching this game, first of all, I have just the utmost respect for any player that has as great of ball control and foot skills as Preki does. Like, I, any player with that level of talent, I think it's just a lot of it's natural. And no matter how hard you work, some of sometimes it just comes a lot easier to players. And I think watching Preki play, you just can understand and see how naturally that kind of ability comes to him. And watching him just slice and dice through players, almost like kind of like a Johnny Russell-esque in a way, but I think a little bit more even refined and just kind of crafty than Johnny can be at sometimes. I think Johnny often uses a lot of power and a lot of kind of quick bursts of speed, whereas Preki does a lot more of that with his feet and with the ball and less with his body. But I mean, man, just watching him in this, in this game in particular was, it's just, it's amazing. There was one way though, where he had a little Christian Namath almost. And he, (laughs) uh, he just strong run up the middle, gets completely shut down by the cruise defense and then just completely gave up. It was one play. Yeah. Uh, he didn't do that a lot, but I was like, ah, oh, that would not work with Peter Ramiz uh, in present time. <laughs> no, there, there was definitely a little bit of that to Preki's game at times where it was kind of like, if it didn't go exactly the way that he wanted, it wasn't, he was going to check out for a minute. Um, and, and his teammates would always talk about that. And then they would, in the, the very next breath say, but, when he's when you give the next time you give him the ball, he's gonna do something special. And it was that's right. the thing to me. He um and, and so okay, so he's the only two time um MLS MVP award winner. He's the only guy to ever do it twice. He's a two time scoring champion. And when he retired, and for a couple of years after that, he was the all time leader in points in in Major League Soccer. Um, I I will go to my grave arguing that the Major League Soccer MVP award should be named after Precky rather than Landon Donovan. And it's not that Landon Donovan wasn't a, a, a you know, a, a player above players in the history of this league. It's that Precky's the only guy to ever do that twice. How dare you name that award after somebody else? Um, because Precky was, Precky's skill and what Precky was able to do in a game transcended just about everything else that happened in the 96 season. I mean, it was or early, early MLS in general. Um, to me, the two players that most defined the very beginning of MLS, at least in my kind of 12 year old brain at the time were Precky and Carlos Valderrama, Carlos Valderrama coming over, being a star for Colombia in the world, in the world cup in 94, um, had the hair, had everything, you know, um, Carlos Valderrama would would stand in stand in the center circle, or at least it seemed like it. He would stand in the center circle. Somebody'd find him with the ball. He'd turn and he'd drop it on a dime fifty yards in front of him, and and that was it. And you know he was playing for for Tampa at the time, and they would just score goals because because El Pibe was just banging the ball down the field. Preki did it the exact opposite way. He was active on the field and banging ball. I mean, it was it was really cool to watch. And so those two guys in so many different ways defined the early era of MLS. You know, you, you've got kind of the aging foreign star who came in and just still was unquestionably one of the best players in the league. And then you've got kind of 
the guy who just went and did it all, which Precky did. Precky defended in this game more than you know, yeah. more than I remember Precky defending in my brain. But he 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 just he did it all, and everything he did was so special. He scored with his right foot in this game. He put I was another one. Say, I didn't remember his right foot <laughs> being as good as it was tonight. He should have had two right footed goals tonight. He banged the one off the crossbar with the right foot. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and then he got the one at the end that put the game on ice, which yeah. is right. So. And then he did he did things that I had never seen. The Panenka penalty kick in this game, I had mm-hmm. I don't think I'd ever seen that. Twelve year old me had never seen somebody go up there and just that confidently, you know, fool the and chip the goalkeeper on a penalty kick. Yeah, he was so he that's why he was so at least for a Kansas City kid at the time, that's why he was a star. That's why he was almost a god, you know, he just did things that you hadn't seen. That well, okay, so that kind of brings up my favorite broadcast moment of the game was the goal call on that PK. And one of my favorite words to describe soccer or like a play or anything of all time is cheeky. Like <laughs> I had I had a coach who would use that all the time and like I just love it. And so they they describe it as cheeky and then he says that Frecky dinks the keeper, which like I'm just gonna say dinks on all the time forget chip forget anything else you just dink the keeper that's exactly what he did though but the confidence that he did it with and just the craftiness of his game the cheekiness of his game doing things that you didn't see um i mean that's what separates players like Preki from the rest of the pack is the ability to impact a game disrupt a game but do so in a way that completely one on the crowd but two just confuses opposing teams and he just was able to do that on a level that you just weren't seeing at that time with a lot of those players you're four games into the the four matches into the history of the league and every single one of those players knew when Precky got the ball they had to do something about it and every single one of those players knew he's cutting back he's going to cut back he's going to cut back and they still bit every time and 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 you know by by the time he retired after like the oh four season or whatever you would hear players, fans, everybody, he's going left, he's cutting left, he's cutting. And people would sit on his left foot. And it didn't matter. It just plain didn't matter. I actually, so I got really, really lucky. I got to, I played against Precky one time in my life. One time in a soccer match on the soccer field against Precky. We were playing. I was, I was in goal. It didn't go well. Yeah. We were playing, Ooh. we were playing men, men's B League soccer at All American, indoor, indoor. And uh, it was, it was over the winter or whatever. And, I was, I had to have been, yeah, I was in high school. So I was 16, 17, 18, something like that. And our team was pretty good. Um, and, you know, a bunch of guys, we all played premier, premier ball. And Precky was just at All-American. And apparently this happened quite regularly where he would just kind of want to come kick around. Uh, Nate Bucati has stories about playing, you know, pick up basketball with, with Precky mm-hmm. um, at the Y or whatever. And so Precky was there and, you know, he trots onto the field for the team we're playing against. And, um... I, I will I just will never forget watching people on the field just in awe of him, Allie. It speaks I mean, obviously we're 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 recreational players, right? We were kids actually. But just in awe of the things he would do with the ball and, and you, you get caught watching him rather than actually playing the game. And um he scored a goal on me from the other red line, like the opposite red line. And I just I all I remember about it was like I heard him hit the ball. I don't remember seeing him hit the ball, but I heard the thud and then I heard the thud as it hit the net behind me or it hit the mat because those aren't nets. They're mats, if you know, those indoor goals. And it was just like, 
oh, that's the coolest thing that's ever happened to me, you know, to be like a, you know, a 16 year old kid or whatever, who'd grown up watching the guy for four five, six years or whatever. It was amazing. Yeah. Your first reaction is to like say thank you and not be like disappointed that he scored. And then, and then like the competitive part of you comes out and you're just like, I got to figure out how to show him up. And he just, he never came back on the field. He walked off after that. (laughs) So it's like my one interaction with Precky on an actual soccer field. Yeah, it was, um, but no, I mean, you watch guys on the field, you watch pros do the exact same thing to him in games like this. And that lasted for the next eight years. I mean, when he won his second MVP award, he was 40 years old. He's the oldest MVP in the history of American sports. Um, he's older than Barry Bonds was when Barry Bonds won his last MVP award. Wow. Yeah. And it's like he was 40 freaking years old and he led the team in it scoring. He wasn't on steroids either. Exactly. You know, unlike Barry Bonds. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. He was doing it all natural. Crazy. So you mentioned, Ali, your favorite broadcaster quote. Mine was after the go-ahead goal in the 77th minute, the announcer said, I hope you have your VCRs on. This is a game you'll want to watch over and over. And I thought, wow, I haven't heard anybody reference a VCR in a sporting event call in about 25 years. And little did they know that 25 years later, we'd be watching it right? via a live stream on a website. Like That would blow somebody's mind if you told them that in 1996. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, no, we, we all just watched it on a on a six inch screen on our phones or whatever. Yeah. Um, th- some of the partners, some of the sponsors was, was fun to look at. We, we, we kind of, we were joking about this before the game. Um, who was it? Was it Bandai Bondi? Yeah. Who are, who is that? I Do don't you know? know. We should go. I looked that. it up. I oh, looked yes. it up. It was like, so there were a couple of things that popped up, but I'm pretty sure it was like a Japanese like video game. Oh, did they make yeah. like, did they make like uh toys? Yeah. Okay. After I looked it up, I kind of like, remembered seeing that brand and that name okay. on like different things growing up but... you say that and it rings a bell now okay well and then the other one that's obviously not i don't think they're around anymore is fuji film you know it's no. like kodak like that's oh not a gosh. big deal anymore but like during oh. that time period i remember going to the like the camera store with my dad and getting you know prints developed and mm-hmm. getting the camera and all that fun stuff did you see the field board advertising the 2022 world cup or sorry the 20, 2002 world cup in uh korea japan i thought that was really interesting that that for whatever reason there was an ad by or they they promised fifa they would put a field board advertising the 20, 2002 a six year later world cup on the on the side yeah, of that's the pretty that wild. is funny yeah uh there, there one point like they were doing here to stay yeah, yeah. <laughs> it it was probably one of those bribes to get the World Cup somewhere, so they had to get it. They had to find a way to get it on the uh, on the advertisements. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a really cool one. Did you notice this was this is my favorite note of the sign of the times? Did you notice how big the center circle was? Not the center circle, sorry, the actual center dot. It was it was no. massively oversized. It was probably three or four that. feet square. It it was. It's there's no reason that the like the, the actual circle in the middle of the the middle of the park needed to be that big. It was really funny to see. What year did that change? There, I don't know. I that could have just been like a weird like an arrowhead thing. Yeah, that could have just been like a groundskeeper thing. Just didn't you know? I I I'd never seen that. It was uh it was really funny to look at. That's you blaming George Toma again, Chad? No. Uh, so, so George Toma is actually a, a a very very good friend of mine. George Toma is their neighbor and it's the coolest thing to like, they just live in like, you know, Westwood and to just like drive down their, their street 
into their cul-de-sac and my buddy's got a fine yard and then the yard next to him is just like the best greenest year round, <laughs> like prettiest yard on the planet. And he's just like, God, he's amazing. And he's like, what, 98 years old or something like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah he's he's, up he's there really, sure. yeah. So yeah. Uh, no, so I've actually, I've gotten the chance to meet George Toma a couple times. He's the nicest guy. Um, and all I want to do is just pick his brain and ask stories about like, not even grass, but like sports grass. Like, tell me stories about times you you mowed the lawn and then Pele played on it, or you mowed the lawn and then you know Joe Montana played on it. That kind of stuff. Well, and this was like the first time he's got. I think this is the first time he's been in charge of the Super Bowl that the Chiefs have played in, which I'm sure was yeah. cool for him. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't think he was doing it back in the 1960s. I don't think. No, they said they said that he he hadn't been in '69. I think I read that leading into the leading into the Super Bowl this year. So, yeah, so I'm sure that was cool for him. Um, okay, so some second-half highlights. So right off the bat, nearly Precky gets the goal with his right foot in the 47th. Mo Johnston buries the rebound. And then one minute later, Columbus gets an equalizer. <laughs> um, but it was funny. It was one-on-one at halftime, and you, there's no way you saw eight goals coming in the second half. But, uh, two goals in the first three minutes of the second, uh, including Mo Johnston's first for the Wiz. Uh, that we don't see. What did you guys think? Like the camera doesn't even yeah. catch it. it, it like yeah. he's not on screen. No, that was a wild like sequence. It was almost like I forgot how close together those goals were. Again, this was my first time watching the game, but I looked up just kind of like okay, like a game rundown and what happens. Then all of a sudden it's like yeah, you don't see him, and then all of a sudden it's like twenty seconds later, the Columbus Crew guy is like celebrating his goal, but. No, that was that was wild. It was such a back and forth, like up and down game. It was really spread out the whole time. Again, I don't think like the the individual defensive performances weren't bad. There just didn't seem to be a lot of defensive tactics, maybe by design. I mean, I think Ron Newman clearly thought I'm just going to put a team out there that can outscore you. But um, it reminded me, Ali, you remember like you know growing up playing. It was you'd score a goal and your coach from the sideline would yell next two minutes or next five minutes or whatever. Like the next couple of minutes are the most important time. Both teams forgot that over and over and over again because, you know, Johnson in the 47th, Yeagley in in the 48th and then Precky in the 67th or Clark in the 64th, Precky in the 67th, Johnson in the 70th. You know, I mean, it all just it just got bunched and they, they it feels like it feels like every time a goal was scored, everybody just started. Over trying and it and it opened up for more opportunities. Yeah, it was almost like the complete opposite of what they were trying to do was <laughs> yeah. happening. Like, the only time you kind of saw it work, for the Wiz at least, was after they did go ahead and Columbus was putting on that pressure uh, towards the end of the game in those final minutes, and then the Wiz were able to hold them off and then get that kind of insurance goal with Prey's last one of the game. Um, but up until that point, like, you're right, it kind of had been like, oh, we're trying really hard and then it was like just opening things up and it just seemed like there was no sense of like a defensive barrier between the midfield and the forward of the opposing team and then the goalies like the poor goalies I mean uh-huh. I feel bad for giving them so much grief but like what, there were some great saves but they really had you know they were kind of left to their own devices for what mid- what midfield by the way though because it felt like both teams just decided they were going to bypass it the whole time I, I'm not talking about like midfield. No, no, as I know, like a, I know. No, I, as like an actual like tactic or like tactical thing of the game, but like the midfielders, the people whose yeah. like title was were yeah. midfield, because it was just it was just one big like. Yeah. I, I mean, you it was foosball. About like the, it was foosball. It was well, and that's like I think the interesting thing too with you know, 
Granted, there were a lot of these guys who did come from other leagues, had played in Europe and whatnot, but most of these guys, at least from, you know, the U.S. side, national team being its own, but like the indoor influence yeah. that was, you know, early on in the MLS is really interesting Interesting in how it impacted from the game from a tactical standpoint. Well, look at the, it's, just, it's such a different game. Listen to some of the names in this game. And Dave, I don't know if this was on your, your list of things to do, but like, here, the, the name, the people I'm going to name who are still around in soccer, Giannis Mikulik is a, is a broadcaster now. He plays in this game. Todd Yegley, his father, Terry Yegley, one of the one of the greatest college coaches of all time. Brian Bliss. Mm-hmm. Uh, sneaky Pete Marino. Pete Marino is a, is a GM for somebody here in uh, in MLS. Brian McBride, GM of U.S. soccer. Um, Sean Bowers is the GM of the San Diego Soccers in the indoor league now. Um, Diego Gutierrez has been around in soccer involved in soccer forever. Uh, Mike Sorber is an assistant coach at LAFC. Precky has coached Precky, what coached Chivas. He coached Toronto. He's on the staff at Seattle. Now Mo Johnston coached um, Toronto FC. Um, you've got just, I mean, like of the 22 men who played in this match or 25 guys or whatever, who played in this match, um, 50% of them are still heavily involved in American soccer. I mean, that's, that's a pretty cool thing when you like, look at it. And then you look at the midfield talking about the specifically looking at the guys who played in the midfield. And it's just like, Oh, Brian bliss, Pete Marino, um, uh, Mark, Mike Sorber, Precky Mark. And it's just like, those guys were all involved. They just weren't involved in the actual middle of the field. They were all involved offensively. Yeah, no, it like the midfield was technically played like right outside of the box at the top of the box, like that kind of. I don't know how many yards it would have been, but like this, this amount of space, like <laughs> that's what it was. No, that, that was definitely, you know, one of the eye opening things for me was just, again, watching the game from a tactical point of view and just how different it really did look a lot of times and almost more like to think how much more narrow the field was even by what five ish yeah. yards or so, but then even still how much more compact they still played because a lot of them, I would assume were, used to playing you know from an indoor yeah. the indoor dimensions of a field which would keep you a little bit more compact well and they keep saying that the game gets wider and wider every year i mean now but but yeah it was just it was really funny like blissy playing on the outside there against paul wright and they they talked about how fast paul wright was and bliss was known for his technical ability and it's just like are they really playing on the outside? Cause they're both like 10, 15 yards in, like they're not, they're, their yeah. heels aren't on the line. Like, like Johnny Russell plays now, or, or you see overlapping runs from wingbacks now, like they were wide and it was nominally wide more than it was like practically actually wide. Right. No, that was definitely like, especially too, because I don't know about you, but like, even when I was playing soccer, I remember like in my select days, you would have your coaches saying, get wide to the, like I played wing mid and my God, if your heels were not literally touching the white line, you were out. Like that was, that's where you had to be. You were stretching the field out and you only closed in if the ball was literally almost out of bounds on the other side. So I just think like the game of soccer, that, that idea of spreading the game out. And that's, you know, now that we look at just the, um, the pressure put on teams to be, 90 minutes fit in a way that's yeah. a lot different now than it was then because you're covering a lot more ground I would imagine than you even did back then because of just how teams play and the way that a successful team is supposed to press high 
get wide, have those defensive backs overlapping the wingers and getting, you know, up top and then tracking back and center forwards also tracking back yeah. like a Kyrie Shelton. It's just, it's wild to see how the game has changed. That's how, uh, that's how Dave plays in the media game every year, by the way, he presses high, he gets wide. He, he... I, my only advantage is my ability to run. He to say, he's the only fit guy on the soccer. field. Yeah. So it's, I'm going to need to start. I, I have never played in a sporting media game despite oh, having man. covered this team now for a few years. It's just like I've either been out of town or like had a work conflict or something. But 2020, if possible. Oh, and then what? We get a global pandemic. It's yeah, like no right. one wants me to play in this media game. I, but uh, if you can play, I complained I, I last year. I complained last year. I was like, I've been here 14 years. I've been doing this radio show with Dave now for three or four or something like that. And I've not once been invited to be to play in the media game or to play – you know, like play once on the field, never once been invited. And then, uh, so Robo Rob Thompson, CCO for, for sporting said, yeah, Chad, you next year, next year. And then here, same boat, Ali, you and I are going to have to like put together our own petition to, to get into the media game. I don't know, Chad, you know, they normally have such elite goalkeepers in that game, you know, Robert Whitman, <laughs> oh. among others. I would definitely the volunteer to play goal. a media game goalkeeper. Yeah. I don't want to run. I'm, I'm certainly not running in front of people. So, so this this game tonight kind of got drunk starting in the 64th minute, <laughs> and uh, there were four goals in the next six minutes. Uh, Columbus, a close range header, makes it three to two in the 64th. The next minute, a really bad own goal for the Wiz makes it four to two. A minute later, a PK is called. 67th minute, so one minute after that, uh, Precky chips chips the keeper, which we talked about. And then the 70th minute was my favorite goal of the night. The uh, Mo Johnston yeah. falling side volley to equalize. Uh, that was a sick goal. It 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 weirdly kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, I know it, we just talked about how it came out of everything happened all at once and that those kind of sequences. But that almost felt like it was nothing was happening on that play, and then and then the ball gets played and it's behind Mo, and you're just like, okay, oh, he just buried that. It's such a good goal. I get what you're saying on that too, because like there were so many quality missed chances in this game that like that one was almost like surprising because it's like the most unlikely of so many other scenarios that had happened up to that point. But I mean, just a brilliant goal. I mean, again, what an entrance for Mo Johnson in the MLS. Yeah. Well, so like, you're right. You're right. It's funny because there were 10 goals in this game. There could have been 15 or 20. There were good chances. There were a couple oh, of good yeah. saves. There were a couple of balls that go into the side netting. And that, that that don't get scored for whatever reason, and then Mo buries that half chance, you know, and it's it's such a goal scorer's goal because he did almost look like you almost well first off the marking was criminal on it. I mean, there's nobody within <laughs> five feet of him, but um, but then he just he made something out of nothing with just a spectacular effort, and it's just like oh yeah, welcome to the league, you know, this guy's really got it. So yeah. seven minutes later, Mike Sorber gets a Glasso. 35 yards out that ends up being the game winner. I mean, that that was could get a great shout for moment of the match as well. Assist to assist to our friend Diego Gutierrez. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His first his first MLS point as a 20-year-old or 21-year-old or whatever. Um Mike Sorber, this was his debut also, right? Didn't they say that during the broadcast? That he had he had been down in Mexico. He was playing with um with Pumas in Mexico and had not been allowed to come back up until his season ended. So uh, he and Marcelo Balboa both both missed the the original opening game for that, um, and he was going to be a, such a stud. I mean, he was a star on the '94 team. 
Um, he was a starter in the World Cup, all those kinds of things. And I'm pretty sure he only scored like four goals in Kansas City, but his first one was was an absolute stunner. Yeah, another example of the uh, the long range shots that just seemed to dominate uh, in this game. But yeah, that was that was a beauty. That was one of my questions for you guys. Did it seem like people took more shots from distance back then than they do now? At least in that game. I mean, if that game is indicative at all of how the rest of the league was playing and how the next like four years of MLS went, then I would say yes because you you see that sometimes now. I want to say like. There was a time like in 2018 when Daniel Shallowy, I think, led the team in scoring where I feel like he had some real quality like from distance. Like that was kind of his his niche where he was really lethal in those kind of unsuspected long range shots. Um, but I don't feel like you see that as much now. I don't. I, I wonder what the reason for that would be. Precky just- winds up and takes a shot from like 45 yards out in the third minute of this game. I mean, he just he just like decides he's going to have a go and see if he can beat the keeper. And I don't think you see that the same way I- anymore. I almost wonder, because what was like the comparison from the goal size um, in MLS to indoor? And if there was yeah. something from like, it maybe think there was a, a known advantage at the time, whether that be that the goals were bigger than most goalkeepers had played in or something with the, you know, the distance mm-hmm. from the box, the length of the box or something. I don't know. But like, I, to your, I agree. Like, I feel like there were just shots from all over the place from far out. Have you heard the story? Uh, Kurt Austin, um, all of our, our buddy Kurt Austin, let me know this. Last week I had not remembered this or even heard it probably. MLS, prior to the 96 season, petitioned FIFA to play with larger goals. They wanted to play with bigger goals. They thought it would be, you know, it was one of the same kind of thing, clock counting down, the the shootouts, all that, to make the game more exciting. They petitioned to play with bigger goals and have more goals scored. And uh, like a month before the season, FIFA was like, yeah, no, you can't do that. So if you thought the game was drunk tonight right? or, you know, in, this, in the, that version of it, imagine that game with goals like, I don't know, a foot taller or like yeah. six inches taller or even six inches wide or whatever. That's that's crazy. So speaking of being drunk, how about the last big play of the game? 88th minute, Columbus <laughs> has like three chances in five seconds. And then right after that, the Wiz get a breakaway and Precky scores from the exact opposite end of the field. I mean, that play was nuts. So I texted you guys, what, on Wednesday or Tuesday earlier this week when I watched that, and I was like, wait a second. Does this all I, – I like, as I was typing out the text – I was like, does this all really happen as quickly as it happens? Because So Columbus gets a free kick from 20 yards out. It falls to Brian frickin' McBride at the back post. He takes a shot cross. I'm still not sure which it is. That gets cleared Schross. off the line. It's a Schross, yeah. That gets cleared off the line. <laughs> Somebody else has a shot from inside the six that gets cleared off the line. That guy gets another bite at it, and he gets blocked at the line again. It just gets poked out, and there's only two guys out there and it's Precky and Digi and they just run the length of the field. And it all happens in 20 seconds before that ball hits the back of the net from Precky. It's insane. Yeah, no, that was, I mean, for what a, could you have imagined a better time for the defense to click for the wizards? <laughs> I don't know if, I don't know if it was like more of a strategy thing or just like a luck thing, but the fact that it was Digi and Precky like on their own there, that seemed like a, a miscue on the cruise part. Well, so run the math really quick. So so it's Digi and Precky, and it's a 2v1 or a 2v2 down the field. So there's only 22 dudes on the field, and two of them are goalkeepers. Does that mean 16 players were in the box? 
Because it just leaves I, four guys. I mean, 16 players are just piled into the box late in the game. I mean, it was the 88th minute, so. Maybe. Yeah, I guess that's they, true. they liked their chances there and, you know, push everything forward. We've seen crazier things with goalkeepers going up in those situations. But, I mean, like, Chad, I think you mentioned earlier, teams knew early on, even a few games into the, the season, what Preki could do right. and who he was. And then you couple that with Digi uh, as well. To leave those guys uh, right there, I guess they were really banking on a Brian McBride goal. And he had his he had his shot at it. I that's actually kind of the, yeah. the most the, the the most shocking thing to me from that whole sequence is that McBride should have done something with that. He's got to put that on frame. Um, but yeah, I I just it's so funny to me to to like I was replaying that goal in my mind, going, wait, there were only four dudes who weren't in the box. How does that even happen? But you're right, Dave. I guess it was it's the 88th minute, and it was a one-goal game at the time. So, man of the match, I'm going to go with Precky. According to the box score, that would be two goals and two assists. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I it's hard not to go with Precky just when you look at the impact he had in this game, but I think for me, a close second – um would have to be mo johnston yeah just. shouts for mo johnston too that that was a that was a heck of a performance and a, a brace for him yeah no i mean it, it's 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 clearly precky right but mo mo was fantastic especially not having trained a lick with the guys uh but this right yeah but watching this game reminded me for so many reasons some of the things i was saying earlier about precky where it's just like he could take over a game like nobody else he was he was so incredible to watch and um and this was one of those games and he kind of did did a little bit of everything in it he was his passing was pinpoint his shooting was pinpoint his cheekiness was pinpoint <laughs> it was such a good game from Preki. so cheeky such a cheeky game yeah and then so, and, and so, to score with the right foot yeah so as we start to wrap up chad i mean do you know yet what our classic is next week can you reveal it is it top secret what's what's the word here it's not top secret in fact um i think we're going to announce tomorrow maybe i don't know maybe in the next in the coming days um skc classics at least for the short term going to go to a fan vote so going to open it up to a handful of matches that are uh that are available. Um, a lot have been thrown out, you know, there's some plans in the future for, for cup finals and things like that, you know, um, and how those will be, be aired. So the cup final type matches probably won't be on the fan vote, maybe some open cup finals, uh, depending on what, what's, what we've got in the archives. Um, archiving, it turns out MLS, not, not, not the league strong suit from let's call it 1996 (laughs) to today. Um, so tracking some of this down, they've done a really good job over the last couple of years, actually, of pulling some of it back and, and finding it for the clubs. Um, so tracking down some of the early matches has been a little uh, a little more difficult than than you'd like. But they've I mean, kudos to MLS for finding this game. Kudos to MLS for finding the the, the inaugural match in 96 and um, and how they can do that now is is so much better. Um, there's some really cool matches throughout the years that have that have been discussed. Um, uh, the Nagamura game, the comeback a couple mm-hmm. of years ago against Vancouver was thrown out there. Um, there was a, uh, there was a really good game. Oh man, I should go look at the list right now. There, just, there's a couple of those games, the big comeback games or, you know, the, the D game, the, 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 the really random Birahim D hat trick game, you know, yes. some of those kinds of things. Uh, uh, Wizards, Manchester United, um, hopefully we'll be on the list trying to get that one cleared with, uh, with Manchester United. Um, to air it. But yeah, some of those, some of those really cool. And it's, it's been cool to look back in the history of the, the club and say, Oh yeah, that game was really, really awesome. 
or really fun or really memorable for whatever reason. This this match in particular was one that that um that I myself and um and Sam Cobson who who was on the the sporting staff and and kind of uh, the the historian along with Kurt Austin of the team were like we got to we got to do this game because it was such a fun just bonkers game. Um and there's a lot more of those that you just don't remember because, you know, recency bias. But um, and then there's some pretty good recent ones. So this Saturday, this coming Saturday is last year's seven one victory over the Montreal Impact. Um, and I think the live stream on that is going to be a, co- a really cool commentary. It's Elie, Johnny Russell, and uh, Jean Luc Abusio. So um, that the, the fun. yeah that commentary will be a lot of fun. But yeah, I think um I think you'll see some really cool fun matches, Dave. I wish I had the list in front of me. Um, and because I would, I would love to have shared it. But yeah, I think we'll uh, we'll do some fun ones over the next coming weeks. There, we're going to see some cool, cool stuff from all different eras of, you know, the the Wiz Wizards, sporting time, and a lot of different players. Um, you know, there's another Ali. There's another major Mo Johnston moment, um, coming there that we're trying to get out there. The uh, the 2000 Western Conference Finals against LA, where where Mo literally sacrifices his face to send the team to the cup. Um, so that, yeah, there's some really cool stuff that it's going to be really fun to relive. Cause a lot of it, you know, most people, uh, Dave, your friend, Sean, you know, who, who, who's an avid listener of our show. He's our listener, um, of the show. Uh, Sean said, you know, he hadn't seen this match since it happened in 96. I think there's going to be a lot of us with a lot of those matches. That's awesome. So any, you guys just want to say like, Fare thee well, and we'll see you next Thursday night. Or you have any any wisdom here to leave the viewers? No, I mean, I guess, Chad, just to go off what you had mentioned a little bit there was, I think it's, while this time is very difficult for a lot of different reasons, um, for sports fans right now, not having games happening, I know it's a bummer to have the MLS season on hold. It's also a great opportunity to kind of brush up on your sports history, brush <laughs> up on your sporting, your Wizards history. I know for myself, I'm really enjoying doing some of these in-depth interviews with current sporting players, former sporting players, uh, former Wizards players, and then get to like watch these games that I just, you know, would either not have time to watch usually during a regular season, just preparing for the next week's game while, you know, analyzing the, pre- you know, the previous week's game. Um, so I just think it's a cool opportunity and, you know, I think it's something that I'm going to try to keep up with even when sports do get back is just making sure I go back and really enjoy some of those beginning games, especially in MLS. Well, and it's, it's the thing I've really noticed about it is that the thing I miss the most about sports and we're all different, like we're all unique in that we, we kind of have the, the media world or, or the club side or whatever that we don't experience sports like a normal sports fan. But right now we're experiencing the lack of sports, just like sports fans and, and the communalness of all of this, like all of us being in this together, all of us starving for sports together has been really cool because, um, you know, tonight we were texting, watching this match together, the, the, our, our, our little text chain. Um, I had a couple other friends who were texting and it's like, we're reliving a match from 25 freaking years ago, but we're all together, like talking about it. And that's really fun. And, uh, you know, we've seen that with, with some of the stuff that, you know, like, uh, Dave, sorry, I know this one's going to hurt you, but, but the, when, when they aired the 2008 uh, NCAA championship game, that, that I don't know if you heard this, the University of Kansas Jayhawks won that game. But, um, but I yeah. didn't watch that one. No. <laughs> Shocker. No, when they, when they aired that game, though, you know, it was all of my KU friends. We were all texting and tweeting and, and whatever about it. And I think there's a little bit of that with, with, these live streams and 
the games on Saturday afternoons, or I'm really excited for um, this weekend on ESPN, the Bulls documentary. I feel like that's actually going to be this, this like tent pole. Everybody comes together and we all watch mm-hmm. it together and tweet about it and talk about it. You know, like it's, this is our water cooler now is the internet and, and text chains talking about the things that are happening. And so I miss the communal part of sports. And I think these kinds of things are a really fun way for all of us to experience that. Hopefully um, we can figure out a way to keep, well, we will definitely figure out a way to keep doing this if you guys want to do it. Cause I think it's a lot of fun. Um, and hopefully we'll figure out a way to make it more interactive for fans, whether that's text line or uh, I don't know how we do call-ins or anything like that, but yeah, it'd be fun to keep, keep, enhancing this so it can be even more interactive too and maybe one something we you something we can't normally do chad since you're going to bring up mukku i will oh, this just is point this here in my office this is the uh mu beating <laughs> ku at arrowhead frame newspaper so wow if you remember that football game that was a uh, much more impressive than your national title dave i and uh, it's coming back yeah it is coming back heck yeah it is dave if i'm being really honest i don't recall that football game but that was uh that was alcohol related more than uh, than you know, trying to forget it related. So maybe a little bit of both. But yeah, let's definitely let's definitely keep doing this. And then the good news is, whenever sporting gets back into action, you know, a month from now, two months from now, whatever that is, they're going to be in the the pole position for the supporter shield race. Right, we're coming back with a first place team. So how long do you think we we'll keep just... the win streak going? I mean, two two wins. You oh, know, two Thursday wins to night. Open... No, no, just in general, two wins to open the season. Oh. Um, unbeaten on Thursdays so far, unbeaten on, on the Saturday restreams, uh, Mm -hmm. sporting Casey esports unbeaten since this has all started. So, I mean, it's just a massive, yeah, massive, massive win streak. I think we can make it till the season resumes. I really do. I'm in. Let's do it. I think so too. Well, cool. Well, good stuff, guys. Thanks to everybody for tuning in on sportingkc.com and the sports radio 810 Facebook page. For Allie and Chad, I'm Dave Borchard saying so long. The Kansas City Wiz win 6-4 to tonight in the second highest scoring game in MLS history. And you've been watching the final whistle post.